That's a little better. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. It's great to see you. I always say that, but it really is good to see you. I mean, more than once a week would get old, but, you know, once a week, I'm glad to see you. Um, now, I hope things are going well for you. We're back into wintertime, in case you hadn't noticed that. Uh, had, a little, had a little spring there for a second, like a psych, you know, psych this out. But uh, anyway, God's been so good, and um, we're excited about what the future holds, and uh, we know who holds the future. Am I right? And so grateful for that. I've been sweating since about the first verse of the first song, and uh, I'm hot. You guys bring in a lot of heat. I don't know if you know that, all this insulation in here. You thought it was just for you, but uh, I'm warm up here. As long as you're comfortable, that's what I'm striving for. Y'all are hot too? Sweet. They're hot too, guys. Come on, for crying out loud, we've got to keep the people happy. I saw like two people fanning themselves that they're hot. That's good enough for me. Don't crank it down. See, here's what happens, though. Our guys go way overboard. I'll say like, it's hot in here, and they'll kick it down like 58 degrees. So just let's go with a moderate temperature. You know, we don't want to be cold nor hot. Somewhat lukewarm is what we're going for. It's our goal. Just tepid, just right in there, okay? So we're in Ephesians chapter 2. If you recall, we were in Ephesians chapter 4 last week, so I'm sort of sort of teaching this a little backwards, but as I've stated over the last few weeks, um, I'm not in a series right now. I normally teach through a book or something of that nature, and uh, I mean, I'm just kind of running wide open, you know, all renegade and whatnot, just, uh, you know, hopping from topic to topic, and I rather enjoy it. We're going to jump into a series before too long, but in the meantime, I'm just giving you some of these random thoughts that, uh, that, I, that I feel like we need to deal with, just different topics, and they happen to be in the book of Ephesians, both weeks, uh, the last two weeks. Um, so today is going to kind of be a, uh, you know, a part two to what we, what we covered last week. Last Sunday, we talked about different personality types. I'll refresh you on that if you weren't here, um, but I want to elaborate on one particular aspect of that this morning. And, uh, and so we're going to dive into that in Ephesians chapter 2. So look with me in verse number 1, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the, de- the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we have to gather together in this place. Lord, we all scatter throughout the week and go about our own business, our own lives, but it's, it's good on this occasion every week to get back together, corporately lift our voices in concert of praise to you. And then, Father, we get to gather around your word, and I'm thankful for that. I pray that you'd speak into every need I pray that, Father, you would translate this truth into every life, apply it specifically where it needs to be applied to the individual. Everybody here is at a different juncture in their journey, and I pray that, God, you would minister to them 
right where they are. I'm glad one day you met me where I was, and Father, you've continued to carry me on that journey ever since then. I pray that today would be that day for someone here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week we talked about how to deal with different personality types. Uh, We talked about uh, beware of first impressions. Y'all remember that? Uh, We put such a high premium on first impressions. Again, we've been taught this since we were young, uh, you know, to make a good first impression. And then we, you know, we flip that around. And when someone does not make a good first impression with us, you know, we go on from there sort of trusting our initial feelings about that person. And oftentimes those feelings are inaccurate, right? Uh, I've met people and had a bad feeling about them up front and later on got to know them a little bit better and found out I didn't feel nearly bad enough about them in the beginning. (laughs) And that's the truth. And then, you know, other times I've met somebody and and had a good feeling about them only to find out I probably shouldn't have been feeling so good about that person or, you know, I've just been dead wrong. Uh, I've thought thought bad of somebody. Somebody didn't make a good first impression. I, you know, this was years ago. I no longer judge people. Amen. Am I right? (laughs) But, um... You know, back years ago when I was still somewhat sinful, I would, uh, I'd be a little bit judgy of people occasionally, and I've, I've judged poorly, and I consider myself a fairly decent judge of character, but, uh, but even at that, I've been wrong. So we talked about the danger of, of first impressions. Uh, we discussed uh, that we all should study the art of communication, so you'll probably uh, never be in you know, the, the line of work where you have to communi- communicate publicly on a regular basis. Um, but, but it is important regardless that we all learn how to communicate. You need to learn to listen to yourself. That'd be good. You know, I, I really genuinely believe, and, and maybe this is, maybe this is, a, maybe I still have a little bit of a judgy side, but I hear some people talk sometimes and I think they can't possibly hear themselves. <laughs> they cannot possibly hear the words that are coming out of their mouths. We've got to learn to listen to ourselves. We have to pay attention to how people respond to the way that we communicate. Do you pay attention to the way people respond to you? Now look, if you're always getting a negative response, I can assure you of one thing. I can't promise you a whole lot, but I can assure you of one thing. If you're always getting a, getting a negative, receiving a negative response from people that you talk to, it's probably not everybody's fault. I mean, most likely, I could be wrong, But most likely, in some cases, it might just be the way that you're communicating. It might be that you come across as brash. And I know, you know what I'm saying, like nowadays, well, that's just who I am. Well, stop it. (laughs) We're sick of you. Stop being that way, right? You know, it's, it's, it, we all want to be, I want you to be individual. God made us different. He made us distinct. Be distinct. Be yourself. Be your own person. But, but at the same time, if, if being toxic and being negative and being a jerk is part of that person, let's work on it right? And so it's important that we work on communicating. Um, I just am trying to make friends right out of the gate. You know how I do. Uh, how, we said have a healthy sense of self-awareness. Again, this will go along with what I said just a moment ago, but you know, consider yourself. The Bible mentions that several times. It says to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. You can never anticipate. You can't preemptively uh, prepare yourself for how someone's going to treat you. You can't prepare yourself for the things that life will bring your way, but you can prepare yourself for how you'll respond to those things. The only person in this world that you have control over is you. And so we've got to learn how to have a healthy sense of self-awareness. We've got to learn to keep our own heart, protect our own mind, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. And then we said, finally, remember that everyone is broken. And so we say that all the time. So that wasn't a new point. That was just a reminder. But, uh, but there was one point uh, in there that I mentioned in passing last week 
that I want to circle back to because, because the more I thought about it, um, the more it became clear to me that it deserves a bit more attention. And I didn't mention it just now in that list, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run back and mention that point. And the point that I mentioned last week that I, I literally just touched on and then we, we had to move on because you guys took way too long with the sermon last Sunday. But uh, I, said, I said in the middle there, I think point number four, I said, beware of warfare or be aware of warfare. Y'all remember that? It was so impactful, you couldn't have forgotten it. I said, be, be aware of warfare. By that, I mean always be conscious of the fact that there may be something at work behind the scenes that you can't see. And so today, the title of the message is simply this, uh, Is There a Devil Between Us? That's a good title. I thought about that for a long time. So I'm waiting on you just to you know, grasp how deep and how good that title is. I come up with sermon titles for me, it helps me remember, but... but but the fact is, sometimes in our interpersonal relationships, sometimes in our communication, sometimes the problems that we're facing are on another level. And so we can cover it from a sociological perspective. We can deal with how to deal with people. We can talk through those things. We can, we can create principles. We can come up with scenarios. But, but at the end of the day, sometimes the reality is, as Christians, we're dealing with a dark demonic force that's trying to create problems. And so I want you to notice again in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, where we looked last week, um, and I'll, I'll throw it on the screen if you don't have a Bible open in front of you, but in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 26, it says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That means if you've got to stay up till 3 in the morning fighting it out, just stay up and fight it out, Right? Or give up and drop it. That's a better choice. But anyway, it says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And so we understand, according to this passage, that, 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 that there are certain things in our lives that we can do, certain things that we can say, certain attitudes that we can adopt and hold on to that will open us up, will open up our lives to demonic attack. You say, well, I don't know that I believe in all that. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you the Bible clearly teaches the, the subject of spiritual warfare as plainly as any subject, that, that there is such a thing as, as a dark war, there's a darker realm. The Bible calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. Uh, he says here in Ephesians chapter 2 that he's the spirit at work among the children of disobedience, meaning those who have not put their faith and trust in Christ are, are subjected uh, and easily open to demonic attack. And, and the fact is, sometimes our communication conflicts, our social conflicts, run much deeper than what can be remedied, remedied by making a few little tweaks to our character. Sometimes what appears to be a social or psychological problem is, in fact, a spiritual problem. And so, so what is important to, to, for us to understand uh, in the vast array of personality distinctions and all the different things that we encounter on a daily basis, it's also vital that we understand in some cases there's more going on beneath the surface. Paul said right here in Ephesians, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. What appears to be a physical battle, because it's always going to take on the form of a person. It's always going to be a person that, that seems to be the problem. All right, you probably didn't get in a fight with your dog before you left church this morning. Now, your dog may be a jerk like mine, but you probably didn't get in a physical altercation or an argument 
with an animal. There was not something out there, some impersonal force that was creating problems for you. It was probably another person. In most cases, probably somebody you love dearly, right? And so we have to consider the fact, we have to bring this, this, this subject into the light that sometimes there's something more going on in our lives than what can be remedied by just a few practical you know, changes that we can make. So before we go any further, let's dig into the substance of Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment. We're going to read it together in a different version. I've been, I've been kind of uh, taking, a, taking a liking to the New Living Translation in my daily reading lately, so I want you to read it here with me in just a little different, just a little different wording. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, Ephesians 2 verse 1, verse 2 says you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so just like we looked at last week in Ephesians chapter 4, there is in in Ephesians 2 a soteriological premise and a sociological prescript. Y'all remember that? I know you memorized those points from last Sunday, right? Soteriology is the study of the doctrine of salvation, or the study of the gospel. And so there's certainly a soteriological element to Ephesians chapter number two. That being, in Christ we have been made alive by his resurrection power. That's what it means in verse number one, where it says, you he has made alive. He brought you to life. Those of us who've been born again, those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the moment we trusted in Jesus, the Bible says we were made alive in him. We were resurrected in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to me that there's a monumental assumption made in Scripture that when a person receives Christ as their Savior, a transformation takes place in the heart. I've always found it intriguing that in reference to those who've been saved, there's, there's really this great assumption made that once you meet Jesus, you'll never be the same. You don't find anybody in the Bible coming to know Christ on a personal level, coming to know Christ in relationship to salvation, being what the Bible calls born again. You never see a person saved in the Bible without their life being forever indelibly changed by the power of the gospel. And so we see this concept in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you, he is made alive, who were once dead in trespasses and sins. He said, you used to walk according to the course of this world. You used to walk according to the prince and the power of the air. You used to have your conversation and your conduct according to the disobedience that was fostered by a diabolical spirit that's permeating the earth today. He said, that's who you used to be, but now in Christ, those of you who were afar off, you were separated. You were far away from coming to this grace. He said, now you've been brought near through the blood of Christ. You've been redeemed. You've been born again. You've been given new life. And so we understand that Jesus 
enters in and he brings to life what was dead. He reclaims what the enemy had held captive. And so, and so we understand throughout the scriptures, just a basic common knowledge of the scriptures, that coming to know Jesus Christ doesn't mean you'll ever be perfect, doesn't mean you'll ever be sinless this side of heaven, but it does mean there'll be a new life inside of you that wreaks havoc on the old life. And I say specifically wreaks havoc because the truth of the matter is none of us, I don't care how long you've been saved, I've been saved about 23 years. I've been saved longer than I, than I lived lost. I got saved at 19, I'm now 43 years old. I've been saved longer than I lived as a lost person. But, but the fact is I still have a few little areas. I know this is shocking. Please, guys, don't think less of me. But I still have a few areas that I'm working on. And you do too, but, but my point being, I said a moment ago that this new nature wreaks havoc on the old nature. Paul said in Romans 9, he said, man, everything that I used to enjoy, I don't enjoy it anymore. It's like Jesus took the desire for all that nastiness that was in my life, all that arrogance, all that pride, all that sensual lust. He said, I just don't enjoy it like I used to. You know, it's not that as a Christian you can't screw up and do the same stupid stuff you've always done. I just guarantee you, you're not going to enjoy it as much as you used to enjoy it. That's a fact, Jack. And, 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 the, and the truth remains that we struggle, we battle, we wrestle, we have problems. We, we, we still have desires that aren't godly. We still deal with all this stuff, but we've been given a new nature. We have a new life inside of us who drives us. He drives us toward this path of life, toward this path of righteousness. God's spirit is holy and therefore will lead us in a path of holiness. And so here's how this breaks down on a practical level. We're alive in the spirit. Is this making sense so far? Because I got to hurry, y'all. We took way too long last Sunday. I got to get through the introduction fast today. So you following me so far? Here's how, it, here's how it breaks down on a practical level. We are alive in the spirit, okay? I don't know where the spirit is inside of our being, okay? But the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He has come to live inside of our spirit, and he's made our spirit alive. So we are alive in the spirit, but the rest of our being is still acclimating. Now think about that. The rest of me is still getting used to this new life, right? Like half hood, half holy, right? I've got this new nature inside of me, but it, but it feels awkward. Just doesn't feel right yet. Doesn't feel right to do things in a spiritual way. It feels right to do things in an unspiritual way because that's far more natural to me, isn't it? Now, don't start getting all hypocritical and pharisaical on me like you don't, but in times of conflict and problems, I, my natural default mode is not to be spiritual. I don't naturally go to prayer. I don't naturally begin singing, you know, the doxology, holy, 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 when problems break loose. I naturally want to react. I naturally, you know, want to go into mm, a different mode. And so even though we've been made alive in the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit has, has brought us to life. He's resurrected us in the Spirit, if you will. Man, we're still, the rest of us is still trying to get used to that. Still trying to grow into it. Still trying to figure it out. Still in many ways feel like a baby learning to walk. All right? My knees get shaky. Right? I just can't stand up straight half the time. 
And so we understand that there's this dual nature, this plurality to our nature, and, and we've got we've to learn to acclimate to the works of the Holy Spirit. So let's just take a moment uh, to look at another character or, or another character or another set of characters in this conversation. I want you to pay attention to something that we read a moment ago in verse number two, but pay careful attention to what it says. It says, now that you've been made alive in verse one, he says, you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. You and I both conducted ourselves. That's what it means when it says once walked. We used to conduct ourselves according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the children or the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by what? Nature, the three of you that are looking at it with me, were by nature the children of wrath just as others. So it says that when, this is BC stuff, before Christ, right? Before we came to know Jesus Christ, he said in that past life, if, if you are a Christian, if you're saved, in that past life, he said, you were really following after the, the course of this world, and the course of this world has been set in motion by the devil himself. He said the course, sort of the, the system of this world has been set in motion, has been, it, it's been drawn schematically by Satan, the prince, the power of, the dar- of darkness. And so before we came to know Jesus, I, I don't see too many people in the room that were probably, you know, wearing a pentagram on their sleeve or, you know, bowing down to a pagan altar and sacrificing goats or anything. Now, if you did, we can talk later. But, it, but, but just naturally by, human, by our human nature, the Bible says that we, we, we followed the course. We just adopted certain things. We inherited certain things. We went down certain avenues and pathways that were really prepared and navigated and trodden down by the enemy of God himself. And so I want to begin, since we're just in the first couple minutes of this message, I want to begin by just giving you a real quick, I mean, talking, I'm talking a crash course in demonology, okay? Uh, don't get spooky, I'm going to keep it pretty practical, uh, but, but I'm going to give you a crash course in demonology. This is a demonology 101 in five minutes. Okay, y'all ready? First of all, I want to say to you that a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. I thought you'd be happier about that. (laughs) That's fairly good news, honestly. I mean, you're not going to walk out here and go... A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. We're possessed in the sense of ownership... The Bible says that the deed to our lives, if you will, was translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So so the enemy, whatever power he felt he had over my life before I came to know Jesus as Savior, whatever I had given over to the enemy, whatever part of me I had allowed him to take control over, when Jesus saved me... I confessed him as my Lord and believed on him and was born again. 
and, and it tells me very clearly, this is what the word redeemed means. The Bible says you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Christ, you were purchased, you were bought. God claimed the title to your soul when he saved you from hell. And so we understand that in Christ we have been now, we are now possessed by the Holy Spirit. We are the possession. He owns us. We're the children of God. And you, therefore, cannot be possessed by a demonic spirit. We're getting one of those signs. That's a good, I mean, that's a great, that's really great news. You're going to hear some great news today. That's great news, in case you didn't know. You can't be possessed by a demonic spirit if you're, if you're possessed by the Holy Spirit. But, but here's what can happen. Because a lot of people say, well, if you know, a Christian can't be demon-possessed, why do we even talk about this? Why does the Bible talk about you know, not wrestling with flesh and blood? Why does the Bible explain that we're in a battle, in a war with demonic forces? Well, that's because we can be what we call oppressed. A Christian cannot be possessed, possessed in the sense of ownership, but you can be oppressed in the sense of being afflicted by an outside force. The Bible explains this to us in many different ways. Paul talked about quenching the fiery darts of the wicked. The Bible talks about, and we're going to talk, we're going to speak more about this in a moment, but, but, but capturing thoughts because the enemy loves to attack your mind. In fact, that I would submit to you that the mind is the battlefield where, where we do face conflict and we face adversity, but you can't be possessed. You can be oppressed. Second thing I want to mention, I told you it's going to be quick, so don't try to get me sidetracked. I see what you're doing. Second thing I want to say to you. Is, is opposite of God. So if we're talking about demonic spirits, opposite of God, demon spirits are limited by time, space, and matter. So fundamentally, we understand of the nature of God, the being of God, that God is, it cannot be encapsulated in time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he, he encompasses all time uh, and eternity. Uh, but and he also can't be encapsulated in space. That was the wonder of Christ becoming a human being, God becoming flesh, uh, calling him Emmanuel, is the fact that God limited himself to a physical body. That was abnormal because we understand that God, Jehovah, cannot be encapsulated in time or space. However, demonic spirits, and this is why this is, is important, demon spirits are not omnipresent. Just like a person, they can only be in one place at one time. Does this stuff spook y'all out? Y'all getting weirded out by this? Demonic spirits can only be in one place at one time. They are not omnipresent. They, they, can't, they can't travel at the speed of thought. They can't just be everywhere all at once. And that's important because a lot of times, uh, what we're going to segue into in just a moment, but a lot of times when we talk about being attacked by the devil, probably in most cases we are not physically being attacked by a demonic spirit itself. I'll say more about that in just a moment. But, but I want to say this to you before we get there. I'm, I'm like throwing a lot of stuff that we're going to get to, so hopefully we get to it. But another thing I want to say, just de demonology 101, demons do their very best work in the shadows. One of the first things we learn about the devil in Genesis chapter number three, it says that he was more subtle than any beast of the field. We understand that this subtlety is, is his MO. This is the way the enemy likes to work. Uh, in fact, the New Testament tells us that he will often appear as an angel of light, I've said many times the easiest lie to believe is the one that's closest to the truth. Very subtle, very, 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 very uh, much working in the shadows, very much working in covert ops. And so uh, next thing, okay, again, we've got to hurry. Hope you're writing this down. Next thing is demonic spirits are sensual. Don't get weird on me. 
But demonic spirits are sensual. They appeal to the animalistic side of our human nature. The Bible talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Why? Because, because the demonic spirits attack us through our senses. If you think about every major failure in human character, somehow that individual has failed through one of their five senses, through arrogance, through pride, through sexual lust. There's been some greed invested there. There's been something that they have, they have succumbed to, to the, the desires of the flesh, the more beast nature of who we are. And so they're sensual. They appeal to the animalistic side of our nature. Uh, demonic spirits are accusatory. We find out in Revelation that the devil himself is called the accuser of the brethren. The brethren, brethren, sistren, I don't know. The people of God. How about that? The accuser of the people of God. Satan loves to bring up your past. Satan loves to accuse. Satan loves to get other people to accuse. Satan loves to get people to criticize. We'll talk again more about that. There's another one of them things. I don't know if I'm going to actually preach on anything today. I'm just going to tell you a bunch of stuff that we're going to get to and then shut her down. All right? But, but he's accusatory. Uh, demonic spirits are divisive. It's one of the devil's uh, you know, patented plans is divide and conquer. Jesus said this. Of, of the devil. He said even Satan himself uh, knows that if his kingdom's not united, it will fail. And so we understand that the devil likes to divide. The, the devil likes to destroy. John 10, verse number 10, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's known by the name of Abaddon and Apollyon in the book of Revelation, which simply means destroyer. And so that's sort of demonology 101. I'm sorry if you wanted something deeper because I got to move on. All right. And so now we're moving from demonology 101 to the book of opinions chapter 1. All right, y'all ready for this? This is straight out of the book of opinions, so just know that. But here's my opinion, and I hold it in high value. I, I, I genuinely, seriously doubt that the average Christian ever comes under the personal attack of Satan himself. Let that settle. Well, now we say stuff, don't we? We say stuff, that's just the devil. That's just old Satan getting on me. Well, you remember that part about only God is omnipresent? And Satan is not a human being. In fact, if we were to dig deeper in the Bible, demonic spirits are fallen angels. So they're angelic beings. They're spirit beings. But, but they're relegated to one place at one time. So when we talk about Satan, there's only one Satan. And he's only in one place. And I'm not sure where it is. Could be the White House. I don't know. But anyway... <laughs> possible I guarantee it's in a place of prominence okay but the fact is there's only one Satan so when we say stuff about being attacked by Satan you know it's okay to use that in a generic sort of way but the reality is we're not being physically attacked I, I'm, maybe you are but I highly doubt you are personally being attacked by Satan himself I'll also go so far as to say I highly doubt that in most cases what we call spiritual warfare or demonic oppression, um, that we're actually being attacked by a devil. Now, some of you can go to seed with me on this later. It's okay. I like to argue. Let's do it. You know what I'm saying? But, but I highly doubt that, that in most cases when we say, well, the devil, the old devil's after me, the old devil. You know how many people are on this planet? When the last time you looked? There are a lot of folks on this earth, and he decided to visit your house today, huh? 
Now, we don't know how many demons there are, okay? There could be millions, but, but, but we're not really given that impression in the Scripture. So when you consider how many people there are in the world to say that the devil, you know, old devil's on the back again, it's, again, we can say that sort of proverbially or, or metaphorically, but it's, I, I highly doubt. Now, y'all remember this is coming from the book of opinions. I ain't grabbing this out of the Bible. But, but I'm just saying, based on what I know about the Bible, I kind of doubt that, we're, that, that in most cases we're being actually attacked by a demonic spirit, right? Somebody cut you off in traffic doesn't mean that Satan's after you. You know what I'm saying? Somebody gets into the Amazon store before you do. It doesn't mean that you're under demonic attack. By the way, here's how redneck our church is. I told that story last week about shopping at the Amazon store in Rolla. Y'all remember that? And someone came to me Wednesday night and said, now you know that's kind of the junk Amazon store. There's a better one. Do tell, because I promise I'll go there. <laughs> yeah, I ain't too good, right? But the fact is, most of the time, what we call demonic attack is not, prob- probably not, I'm not saying it's not, but probably not an actual demon spirit attacking you. But here is how spiritual warfare does affect each and every one of us. You remember, you remember according to our text there in Ephesians chapter 2, that there are certain diabolical patterns that have been interwoven within our nature. You remember it saying that? It says that, it says that, that, that you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So, so before coming to know Jesus as your Savior, the patterns that we developed, the, you know, sort of the, the, the view of life, the outlook on life that we had Prior to coming to know Christ as Savior, we developed a lot of patterns that are, that are diabolical in nature. Uh, according to that text, there are certain things that have been interwoven in our nature that, that, are, that have been inspired by, by Satan himself. So here's how masterful, and I hate to give the freaking devil any credit, okay? But you got to give credit where credit's due. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just a reality that, that Satan has learned very well how to set certain things in motion where he doesn't have to constantly be the one doing the attacking. He has introduced a poisonous venom into the very, the very vein of humanity that we have carried on quite naturally without his help. There are certain things that have been woven within our nature, and it's therefore vital that we learn how to recognize these patterns and break them. This is how toxicity, this is how hurt, this is how pain, this is how abuse gets passed from generation to generation to generation. It's because somebody at some point continued to perpetuate the pain and the problem and the abuse. And I'm saying this morning that somebody's got to break the chain. Somebody's got to stop the cycle. And I say it stops with us. Now look, when, when God said in the Old Testament many times, he said to different patriarchs, he said that the, that the sins of the father would be remembered to the third and the fourth generation. That does not mean that God holds our children or grandchildren culpable for our sins. God doesn't hold me responsible for the sins of my father or my grandfather. In fact, the Bible plainly teaches that every man will give an account of himself before God. I'm responsible for what I've done. Now, thank God my sin was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, 
But if I were to stand and give answer, I wouldn't answer before God for, for my father's sin. I would answer for my own sin. So what does it mean that the sins of the fathers will be remembered to the third and the fourth generation? It means that what we do in our generation, oftentimes in moderation, will be done in excess in generations to come. It means that they will adopt our, our, our patterns, our lifestyles. And if I've learned anything about ch- raising kids, there are a lot of times better at the stuff that I'm not proud of than I am, right? Not my kids, but I've seen that in y'all's kids. <laughs> we can't all be raising angels. It's a tough job, guys. But, but it's, it's, it's the reality that we have to break these toxic patterns at some point. And so it's vital that we learn to recognize them so that we can break them. My prayer today is that you'll see these things in yourself, that you'll recognize them because they're going to be idiosyncratic to every individual. You're going to have your own personal problems to deal with. I ain't got time to list them all, although I can start calling names if y'all want. You want to do that? It'd be more fun, wouldn't it? Especially if we start at the front, I'd run out of time before we got to the back. So let me just, let me just name a few that are easy to recognize, Okay. Just a few of these toxic traits, and here's what we're talking about. We're talking about things that, 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 have been, that have been woven into human nature, things that have been introduced, like a disease, think, think virus, think disease, that's been introduced into human nature that has infected us. And again, I'm not saying the devil never personally attacks. I've got, I've got some serious thoughts on that that we can deal with later. I just don't have time this morning. But, but in most cases, the problems we face is not that there's some devil on my back, literally. It's just the fact that I'm giving in to the toxic traits that have been, have been placed there in the past and that I have done a real good job of developing on my own. So I'm going to name some of the more obvious Okay, again, I'm, my prayer is that you'll, you'll notice specific things in your life, but I'm going to give you some very obvious things that you can recognize that are definitely not of God. First of all, I want to say that fear is not from God. I'm talking about a crippling type of fear. That is not from God. Now, somebody will come to me and say, well, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's not what we're talking about. Fearing the Lord means we have a healthy respect for who he is, we understand his might and his power, and we realize he could snatch a knot in our tail anytime he wanted to. That's a healthy fear of God. But that's not the type of fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about the type of fear that keeps us up at night, the type of fear that keeps our stomach in knots, the type of fear that keeps this, this, this burning level of passion inside of us that's not healthy, it's not good. We might call it anxiety. We might, we might attribute it to stress. We might, we might bring other things into the arena, but the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, it can all be generalized under the heading of fear. And the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And so when you recognize unhealthy fear in your life, you can be, assur- be sure that that's not from God. Now, no, I'm talking about spiritual stuff. I'm not saying anything physical. I'm not trying to, this sermon does not diagnose any physical ailments, okay? (laughs) If it's a physical, chemical problem, then deal with it that way. But I'm saying as much as, 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 as within the realm of the spirit, as much as can be dealt with in a spiritual way, we need to understand that fear does not come from God. That brokenness, that anxiety doesn't come from God. Second thing, consistently finding faults in others is a diabolical trait. I'm pretty good at it. Y'all good at that? I'm seriously really, really good 
at finding faults in good people. I can do it quick. Don't leave me alone now. But finding fault in other people is a diabolical trait. You say, how do we know that? Well, we know that because, first of all, the Bible says that God loved us even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It means that God looked past all of our sinfulness and all of our, all of our mistakes and, and, and loved us anyway. So God doesn't bring up our past. If, if we've been born again, we've been saved, God is not the accuser. He's the opposite of that. He's the advocate. He's the one that brings us into fellowship, into relationship. So if we are playing the part of the, of the accuser, we have stepped over and, and begun advocating with the devil himself who wants to bring up negative things about other people. And so, so consistently finding faults in others is not a, a, a spiritual gift. Consistently finding fault in others is not a spiritual gift. In fact, it takes a very weak person to identify faults in others. It does. It doesn't take an intellectual person to find good in people. In fact, you've got to look to find good in a lot of people. Amen? Come on now. Y'all know that's true. I heard a story about an old preacher one time. He had this lady in his church that she was just a sweetheart, just, just a, you know, dyed-in-the-wool optimist. Always saw that, you know, the glass is half full. She could always say something positive about any, anybody. And one day he said, Sister Mary, he said, I bet you would find something good to say about the devil himself. And she goes, well, he is persistent. <laughs> that was a good joke. I don't care what you think. <laughs> but the truth is it's easy to be negative, isn't it? It's easy to be negative. It's easy to find fault in people. It, it takes intentional inspection to find good in people. But God said that we ought to be looking for the good. We ought to be calling out the good. We ought to be encouraging one another, building each other up, not tearing each other down all the time. And so finding fault, consistently finding fault is not a spiritual gift. It's not a trait of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's one of those pieces of our old nature that's just there and we got to deal with it. Uh, this goes along with it. Divisiveness is diabolical. Backbiting, gossip, uh, that all kind of goes in the same thing. I want to say that self-condemnation is not of God. A lot of people are good at finding good in others, and all they see is the nasty stuff that's in them, the negative side. And so we live in this cloud of self-condemnation. The Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. And so self-condemnation is not of God. Immoral desires is not of God. Can I state something very plainly? God is not leading you to leave your spouse for another person. Please don't blame that on the Holy Spirit. It's nice and quiet. But that's not of God. Satan attacks through sensual desire. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. He's going to try to get you to move away. It's the, it's the forbidden fruit syndrome, right? You got all this, and yet you want that, Right? You got all this. God's provided every need that you have. And yet your eye is always wandering. That's not of God. That's the sensual desires of the flesh. It's demonic. Anger is not a character trait of the Holy Spirit in your life. We talked a little bit about it last week, but fits of rage and anger is not of God. In fact, the Bible says that that opens the door for demonic attack. And so once again, all I'm saying is somebody has to begin breaking the cycle 
And we always want to blame it on the devil. Well, you know, the old devil got me stirred up the other day. The old devil got me good and mad. Boy, he knows how to push my buttons. No, you just your buttons are easily accessed. And they get pushed real easy. And then it's, it, we want to scapegoat and we want to blame it on some outside force when the truth of the matter is we're just reverting back to our old ways. We're just slipping back into the old patterns that we developed. He said we once walked according to the course of this world. We're just, we're just trodden the natural path that we were used to walking on. He said you've got to break that cycle. You've got to come out of it because the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit overflowing in your life is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. He said these are the attributes of the Holy Spirit. But functioning in fear and judgment and and, and backbiting and hatefulness, all these things are diabolical in nature. And once again, it doesn't mean that you're filled with, you, you know, they're demon-possessed, them old gossips, right? That old, they gossiping again, they, that's, the, that's, of the, that's the devil. Well, it's of the devil, but it's probably just a person acting like a devil. And you've got to learn to deal with it. And so I want to say this to you, golly, boy, we got some good stuff on the horizon. And I've got to give you in five minutes. Here we go. Here we go. Just a couple, just a couple things, all right? Because we're trying to take some, some deeply spiritual issues and bring them down where we can deal with them in a practical way. First of all, I want to say you've got to recognize when you're not thinking clearly. Now, I cannot overemphasize this point. You have to learn to recognize when you're not thinking clearly. Now, here's, here's why this is so difficult. You're going to think you are. You're going to think that you're being perfectly rational. You're going to think in that moment, if you're not conscious of it, you're going to think in that fit of rage, you're going to think in that, in that moment when, when there's, there's something tempting you right in front of you that you know isn't of God, you're going to think in that moment that it's the right decision because everything inside of you is pointing in that direction. And so we've got to learn what it is to step back and take notice when we're not thinking straight. I mentioned last week how often the Bible tells us to be sober. It says to gird up the loins of your mind. That means to, to sure up your mind and make sure you're thinking clearly, to pause and think soberly. We oftentimes get so intoxicated with things around us and the way that we feel. We get so intoxicated in the moment that we, that we want to act on that feeling. We want to act on that surge of emotion when the reality is we've got to take notice that we're not thinking right. The battle's in your mind. Don't ever forget that. The battle is for your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical. You're not going to win this war by learning how to, how to do jujitsu or some Jedi mind trick. Right? He said you've got to realize that your battle, the weapons of this war, this battle that we're in, are not physical. They're not carnal. But they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, here's how we pull down strongholds. It says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Did you notice three references there in that short little passage to your mind? Imaginations, thoughts, right? He said, you've got to, you've got to keep in mind that the battle is for your mind. 
And so recognize when you're not thinking clearly. This is why the Bible tells us not to get drunk. Right? That's why the Bible tells us not to get drunk. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'll raise my hand for all of us. Those of us that have had our fair share of, uh, you know, a little too much to drink have made some bad decisions. My hand is raised for you. It is. But that's why God says, don't be drunk with wine. It's excessive. If you can't handle it, don't touch it. If you can't take a drink and put it down, don't touch it. Because when you step over that line into intoxication, you're going to make some really bad decisions. Doesn't mean every time, but there will be times that you're presented with decisions in a time of intoxication, and you're going to make some bad choices. I'm a me- I love memes, right? I confess this all the time. One of my favorite memes is the, you've probably seen it, it says, you know, they say that, you know, if you did it when you're drunk, it's because you always wanted to do it. The guy goes, really? I didn't always want to sleep in my front yard in a wheelbarrow, right? <laughs> it was not some, like, hidden, innate desire of my heart <laughs> to pass out in my own vomit. I never, that, you know, that was not really something I'd just been thinking on, and, you know, the alcohol gave me the courage to do it. But the truth is, look, in any case, in any circumstance, we can get ourselves all worked up to the point that we're not thinking straight. God's not the author of confusion, so if your mind is confused, you need to get to a place where you can settle it down and think clearly. This is what the Bible means when when God said, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. Your mind is in this, 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 this state of chaos and confusion. You need to get to a place, no matter what the, the external uh, stimulus was that got you to that point, you need to get to a place where you can calm your thoughts and think peacefully before the Lord, chill out, and make a rational decision. In order to do that, you have to recognize when you're not thinking clearly. Blake, would y'all come on up? Whew, come on, we got to go. Here we go. Don't look at your watch. Stop right there. Look up here. Second thing, this is just some advice. Recognize when you're not thinking clearly. We all have these moments, okay? As smart as most of us are, we have moments where we're just not thinking straight. You might get in an argument with your spouse, and man, you're thinking all kinds of craziness. How many of y'all get in an argument every now and then you think some crazy thoughts? Don't raise your hand. Just... Just know we're making eye contact, and right? Think some crazy stuff. I'm studying the book of Romans kind of obsessively right now. I'm just sort of, you know, really digging into the book of Romans, and so I listen to it through all every day on a little Bible app, and got to Romans chapter 7 the other day talking about how a woman's bound to her husband as long as he lives, and my wife was there with me, and I said, don't get any freaking ideas. <laughs> I said, as soon as he's dead, she's no longer bound. I said, just, hey, I know death is an option, but, you know. Number two, you've got to humble your heart before God. You say, I don't know how to stop the chaos. I don't know how to calm all this stuff down. Well, you've got you've to learn what it is to humble yourself, to bring your heart in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is kingdom first stuff right here. This is what Jesus meant when he said, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've got to bring your heart into subjection to God's throne. See, because when God's on the throne, 
whether it's an actual demon spirit or whether it's just a demonic pattern that you've developed, none of that can stand in God's presence. That's why we're so often reminded in Scripture to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Next, next, real quick. Resist the temptation to act when in a state of emotional turmoil or confusion. Resist the temptation to act when in a state of emotional turmoil or confusion. James chapter 4, verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, that's step number one. Resist the devil. You, you got to fight against it. Just stop giving in. You just keep giving in. We've all got friends like this. We would never do this, but we all have friends like this. Let's talk about them. It's like they get out of one bad situation and they run right back into another one. Right? And you just want to choke them, don't you? you don't want ch- I want to choke them out. Say, dude, for real? Like God delivered you from that nonsense once. Why do you keep going back to it? Well, now let's forget them and point the finger back at us because the truth is we all do it sometimes. Might be a different arena, but the fact is we all do it sometimes. We have to resist the temptation to give in when we're in a state of emotional turmoil or confusion and then finally we're done. You gotta pray for wisdom consistently. I said this last week, but it bears repetition. Consistently pray for wisdom. All of that, all of that goes together. That part about catching it when you're, when you're not thinking clearly. Notice, take notice of it. Just admit to yourself, say, man, I just ain't thinking right. I just, I'm just not thinking right. And probably shut up would be a good thing right then. Right? Just, just stop talking. Because I'm not thinking clearly. So whatever I'm about to say probably is not going to be real well thought out. So I'm going to just stop. And if you're the person in the room that's with that other person in the moment when they recognize that and they say, I need to just stop, stop pushing them. Let them go. Let them be. I think every, every, every relationship, every, every, every husband, every wife needs to have, needs to have uh, you know, that moment where they can say, you know what, I'm about to lose my stuff. Can we just, can we just call a timeout? No, I want to talk now. Yeah. I called a timeout. I know the rules of engagement. If I call a timeout, I get a timeout. Give them a timeout. Let them, let them step away and breathe because really what they're trying to do is show you some respect. By doing that, by saying, hey, I just need a minute, what they're effectively saying is, I, whatever I'm about to say, I want to make sure I've prayed about it and thought through it before I say it to you. So it's a very respectful thing to do. Just, just, just step away. Submit your heart to God because you might be the one in the wrong. Resist the temptation to act when you're not thinking clearly, and then pray for wisdom. Because as I said last week, let's not be pacifist. A pacifist will just pretend like there's no problem. You've got to go back and deal with the problem. But you need to deal with it in a healthy, healthy manner. Anger is very unhealthy. It's destructive. By the way, if you don't struggle with anger, if you're the opposite of that, I pick on anger a lot because I'm very familiar with it. But if you're the opposite of that, and you're kind of that, you know, that passive-aggressive type, you're no better than the rest of us hotheads. I'm just, just saying, all right? You know, how to, you know how to get those little subtle digs in. And you don't look as bad. You don't look as bad as the one going, God, I told you, I'm not. You don't look as bad. 
but you're still playing games. And we need to humble our hearts, recognize we might be the one in the wrong, and deal with it in a spiritual, healthy fashion. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I didn't preach the gospel to you, but just know this, Jesus loves you with all of his heart. And if you've never come to know him, if you've never put your faith in him, I would encourage you to do that today. If you have questions, our prayer team will be standing by. We'll be glad to help you walk through that. If you need somebody to pray with you, we'd be happy just to have a word of prayer with you. If you're here today and you're a believer in Christ, let's learn what it is to walk in the newness of life that's been given to us in Christ Jesus. All right, let's stand. Father, thank you for this opportunity, this time to study your truth. I pray that you would apply it into our hearts and lives as only you can. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.